What the hell's wrong with freedom, man? That's what it's all about. There are the hippies. Dad, what's a hippie? Oof. Um, they make you uncomfortable. A hippie, uh, well... Yeah. The aggressive determination of hippies to start a new society has made its mark upon San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury. So there's, so there's no real way to sum up an answer to that question in one episode. And even if we could, there would be plenty of differing versions of the story. Different beginnings, different endings. It wasn't about free love, it wasn't about dope, it was about a time of possibilities. In this episode of Rome School, we're going to dive into the complicated, beautiful counterculture that self-identifies or is labeled by others as hippies. There is the real danger that more and more young people may follow the call to turn on, tune in, drop out. It's about peace, freedom, and some ideas that sound cliche to our modern ears. What does cliche mean? It's like an idea that's overdone. Too many people have talked about it, so it sounds tired and old. It appears to be style without content. There's some things about hippies that'll surprise you, even if you are a hippie. In this episode, we're going to look back, and we're going to look at now. We're going to look at where hippies come from. And one thing I want you to know right at the top, I didn't want to focus on drugs being a part of the definition of a hippie, but they are part of its beginnings and part of its ongoing legacy. So if you listen to this show with your family, just know that there are going to be some references in this episode to people putting chemicals in their bodies. But drugs weren't the thing. It wasn't about dope. I've decided to share with and not shelter my girls in this regard, um, and I hope their decisions will be smart and informed. They will, right? Yes. Yeah. You promise? Yes. They consisted of color sequences that gave the appearance of different colored liquids spreading across the screen, followed by shots of men and women and persons twisted and gyrated in provocative and sensual fashion. So we're going to dive into the chaos with this. There once was a University of Oregon football player. He was actually training to be a wrestler for the U.S. Olympics. He studied creative writing. He was a clean kid. He'd never even been drunk on beer and he married his childhood sweetheart. And in 1960, in a graduate writing program, he was at Stanford, and he took part in a $25 a day study and was given LSD as part of a CIA-funded program exploring mind control. Some might say that this is when Ken Kesey became Ken Kesey. His first novel was a huge success. It spawned a Broadway play starring Kirk Douglas, so Kesey went all the way to New York to see the play in 1963. Then there he witnessed the World's Fair being built just outside the city. He decided he'd come back and see the fair the next spring, and he did. But not before the world changed. We interrupt this program for a net alert bulletin. President Kennedy and Governor John Connolly of Texas were both hit by a would-be assassin's bullets in an open automobile a short while ago. The president, his limp body cradled in the arm of his wife, was rushed to Parkland Hospital. We are awaiting further word on his condition. This is the latest we have at our CBS News headquarters in New York. We now resume our regularly scheduled program. So when Kesey made it back to New York the next year, he said his words weren't matching up with reality. He stopped writing. He said if Shakespeare were alive, he wouldn't be writing but making films. So the trip was filmed, and a group of Kesey's friends and chemicals were thrown into the mix. They bought this 1939 International Harvester school bus, the now famous Further Bus. 
Why a school bus and who came on the trip? People who came on the bus um, included this woman who wanted to be a water ballet swimmer, the philosophy professor from Stanford. Um, and there was also a self-proclaimed beauty witch. What's a beauty witch? This person who is beautiful and maybe has some mystical power over the person that she's with. Then there was Del Kesey, Ken's cousin, the bus chaplain, and a guy named George Walker who bought the bus. And the driver of the bus was Neil Cassidy. He was the real-life version of Jack Kerouac's character, Dean Moriarty, in Kerouac's book, On the Road, which had been read at least once by everybody on the bus. Neil and Kerouac were longtime cohorts. His presence in the group, which was now known as the Merry Pranksters, brought with it an industrious, beat-poet sense of adventure. And his manic personality fueled some of the playful parts of what was about to be born, the hippies. I'm simplifying a lot here. There was a hopelessness that had arrived in the United States after Kennedy's assassination, and the people on this bus wanted to document their own adventures, conversations, real conversations, with people as they passed through the small towns and cities of America. Like us. Like Rome School. Glad you caught that. They blew bubbles, they played flute, they did merry stunts in order to find a voice. They weren't hippies yet, and it wasn't a political movement, but they did things like mocking conservative presidential candidate Barry Goldwater by driving backwards through Phoenix, Arizona, with uh, a vote for Barry as a vote for fun painted on the side of the bus. But they weren't really a political movement. Many people credit this trip by the Merry Pranksters in 1964 as the birth of the hippie movement. The thing is, they set off with American flags everywhere. They wore red, white, and blue. They had short hair. For our purposes, for this episode, there's one more person who was on the bus, Ken Kesey's best friend, whose name is Ken Babs. Ken Babs was also in creative writing. After his ROTC-funded education, he was commissioned as a lieutenant straight into the Vietnam War, flying helicopters for five years. Later in life, he co-wrote books with Ken Kesey, including The Last Go-Around. So, guys, we don't usually do this, because we try to sit down and have in-person conversations. But I want to break the rules. Why do you have to do it again? Because this time, Ken Babs did a really amazing thing. He was too busy to visit with us when we were passing through his part of the country because he's on a deadline for his book, and he wrote a piece especially for Rome Schooled. Wow. One day, this audio recording that he made for us showed up in the Rome Schooled mailbox. A bowl full of muggles by any other name would smoke as sweet. Where did the name hippie come from, anyway? Hipsters full of jive and divorce from the squares have been around in jazz joints and part of the slang of the beats. But the hippie is a cat of a different growl, probably first coined in San Francisco where the breed flourished. Kesey and I fell in the crack between the beats and the hippies. We were too young for one and too old for the other. Neil Cassidy bridged the gap a savant for the beats and the psychedelic generation alike. The image of the hippie spliced across the media front page was beads and tie-dye and weed and long hair. Bring on the acid. Pranksters are not only about acid, although it is part of the picture, but on a personal level. 
If you are merely pushing the use of drugs, you lose lots of people who are interested in spiritual development. The search for enlightenment and the seeking of expanded consciousness and following that, the actions of helping one another out and being kind to others, no matter what their ilk, and most importantly, not adding to the polarizations and arguing going on all over the place. Thus cometh the prank. Take the arguments between people. Take them sideways, but you got to be careful. We followed the unspoken, unplanned, non-rule. The prank can't hurt anyone or cause unfair repercussions. When it's over, everyone laughs. It doesn't put anyone down, except for maybe those fog-bound institutions, like the conservative thing with its lack of humor. The pranksters paint, a vote for Barry is a vote for fun, and passerbys see it and think, oh boy, then they read it again and go, what? And by that time, the pranksters are gone. Hi-oh, silver. What was that sugar cube, that masked man left in your hand, mama? In the summer of 1964, we were looking for the cool place. Looking for the cool place had a double meaning. It was hot, and we were looking for a place to cool off, like a swimming pool or a lake or a river. But looking for the cool place also meant finding the cool place inside, where you could be happy all the time, if that's possible. One of the ways we learned to find the cool place was to do the now trip, because when you're in the now, that is a cool place. But we had to be aware of the goat heads of home. We were editing the bus movie at Kesey's house in La Honda in the spring of 1965. Every Saturday night we would show the reel we had edited during the week. Word got out around the Bay Area and so many people started showing up it was getting out of hand. We began renting halls where we could show our movie. By then we were friends with a band called the Warlocks and they joined up with us. We started calling the shows The Acid Test. Our only advertising was a generic poster with a little blank square in the bottom right-hand corner where we could write in the location. We charged a dollar at the door. For your dollar, you got an acid test card with your picture on it that we took with a Polaroid camera and then pasted on the card and laminated the whole thing. Our only rule, unenforced, was that everyone should stay till dawn so no one was running around loose on the streets. We didn't have anything to do with the acid. We didn't know where it came from or who filled the trash cans. One labeled acid, the other not acid. The Merry Band of Pranksters is also a band, and we played on a stage at one end of the hall, and the Warlocks played at the other end. Sometimes we played at the same time. Of course, we showed the movie of the bus trip. Later on, the Warlocks changed their name to, uh, what was it? I can't remember. They call themselves the Grateful Dead. In 1967, the halcyon days of the psychedelic revolution had come to an end. San Francisco was mobbed by children with flowers in their hair, followed closely behind by the sharks. 
The music industry was being captured. The Fillmore Auditorium by Bill Graham, by Chet Helms and the Family Dog and the Avalon Ballroom. The pioneers of the revolution were moving under the asphalt, going into the country, returning to the land. The pranksters settled at the Kesey Farm in Pleasant Hill, Oregon. Kesey was still in jail, and when he got out, he came to the farm to be with his wife and kids and the pranksters. Hassler, his little place in the barn, George with another room fixed up there, Faye and the kids in an outbuilding. I built a cabin down by the pond. We also built a cookhouse and kitchen and dining hall outside the barn where we cooked and ate all of our meals. There was chickens. There was Bam the Ram. Don't bend over or you might get butted from behind your noggin hitting in the dirt. Watch out for Stuart the dog begging you to throw stones or sticks because someone once gave him speed and he sat down by the pond chasing a rock in and out of the pond all day. There was a mule and there was a white horse and some cows and lots of rabbits in a big garden. There was a wave we rode. We didn't start the wave. Lots of people rode it. The wave grew and kept going, washed across the shores and by the mid-70s, it was all the way to Kansas. Now the whole world is psychedelicized. The word hippie, once demonized by the media, is a warm reminder that the positive tenets of the 60s, love, peace, and happiness, still abound. Pretty amazing that he wrote that for us, huh? Yeah. I liked how it seemed like he had worked on that for a long time. Yeah, I think he's thought about it for a long time. <laughs> he said it was like a wave spreader. He said something in the beginning. Did he say muggle? What yeah, say? muggle. Mm-hmm. What does that muggle mean? mean? What do you think a muggle is? Well, the only thing I think a muggle is is someone without powers because that's what they are in Harry Potter books. Basically, muggle is just like you said, somebody who has no power, magic power. It's just a regular person with no powers. Why did he talk about acid so much? Well, I think he talked about acid so much because so many people talk about drugs when they're talking about hippies. And there was a component where people were putting chemicals in their body, doing a lot of drugs back then. LSD was a drug that was being studied by the CIA. What is CIA? The Central Intelligence Agency of the federal government because they wanted to exert mind control over enemies and enemy spies. So they had this big study um, testing different drugs and seeing how these drugs could be used to exert mind control over people. And LSD was a drug that was in development to treat migraines. What is migraines? Headaches, really bad headaches that didn't work. There is still no drug that really cures a migraine, but LSD was being studied, and it caused all these changes in mental state that resembled insanity or schizophrenia. They were also trying to cure depression. There was a big study done at Stanford and at 40-some other colleges that had academic psychological institutions attached to them and 
Ken Kesey participated in those studies and he took acid and they sat him in a room and they recorded his thoughts and they asked him to draw pictures. He sort of thought it was interesting and compelling and that it, in his opinion it opened up a new consciousness. So he was giving it to his friends and it was being taken by people. So but why did people want it? Well, because they felt like they saw things differently and it opened up a different way of seeing the world. The problem was a lot of people lost their minds and even Ken Kesey said about 10 years later that he thought he maybe lost all of his marbles because it kind of scrambles your brain. And it can also unleash some latent problems that you might have like schizophrenia and depression can be compounded if you take drugs like that, especially acid. But what does acid exactly taste like? Does it taste bad? No, no taste at all. It's not about the taste, it's about what it does to your brain. So they had, uh, they had discovered that if they gave it to cats, for example, cats suddenly became incredibly afraid of mice. <laughs> so it kind of, it, it turns things around inside That'd out. That would be really funny. Well, I think that that's part of it, is that it kind of made things look funny to people and seem funny to people. But it's such a potentially harmful drug that later the Merry Pranksters and the people who had been holding these happenings and these acid test events make a great point to minimize the influence of acid. So that's why he, that's why he brings it up, is because people who were around then who wanted a reason to criticize them were always saying, oh, well, those guys are just drug peddlers. They were just selling drugs. They were just giving drugs to our, to our teenagers. But he's saying that it was something much more than that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, one last note about drugs here. The Merry Pranksters played around with acid with almost no knowledge of the harm it could cause. Ken Kesey was actually put in prison for six months for marijuana, not for acid. It's weird to talk to your kids about drugs. I tried to make an analogy here using my daughter Vern's only known vice, which is butter. It's a little strange, and I'm not sure if the analogy quite worked, but... Butter's not good for you? No, no, not if you eat whole <laughs> sticks of it. And for our radio audience, you should tell people why I'm using this as an example. I love butter. Yeah. I would eat sticks of it. He sometimes puts a lot of butter and stuff. I think when you were two, you ate an entire stick of butter when I wasn't looking. <laughs> but whereas butter's bad for your body, acid is really bad for your brain and your mind. If you, Which is worse, body acid. or mind? <laughs> it's just hard to compare the two. Um, I would recommend people to not do acid and to not eat whole sticks of butter. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so they both can be really bad for you. Some of the pranksters didn't make it all the way to New York. The beauty witch became known as Stark Naked. She freaked out on acid and soon after left the group. In a flurry of sexual revolution, which many attribute to the invention of the birth control pill, and drug experimentation, and childlike, boundary-free behavior, the pranksters hacked away at social mores, and they rejected their parents' world. At one point, the bus broke down, literally, and while some of the pranksters knelt down in the mud, pouring their art supply oil paints into the stream and discovering tie-dye, they were also planting much more important seeds. Seeds that changed society. Some very much for the better. 
philosophies matured, new doors of consciousness stood open for a few years, and a new society was developing, especially in San Francisco. The aggressive determination of hippies to start a new society has made its mark upon San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury. There are a lot of for sale signs in Haight-Ashbury. There are a lot more houses being occupied by hippies. There are the hippies. They make you uncomfortable because there is obviously something wrong with the world they never made if it leads them to these grotesqueries. They, at their best, are trying for a kind of group sainthood. And saints running in groups are likely to be ludicrous. They offer a spurious attraction to the young, a corruption of the idea of innocence. Nothing in the world is as appealing as real innocence. But it is, by definition, a quality of childhood. People who can grow beards and make love are supposed to move from innocence to wisdom. This is Harry Reasoner. How do you think people thought about hippies when they first came on the scene? Oh, they didn't like them. They thought they were, like, not living the dream, the American dream. Maybe because they want everyone to be the same and everything to be in order. Huh. And they were, like, saying, no, we want to be different. We don't want to have to do this and dress like this and do that. Ken Kesey went back to the farm after his marijuana bust. And he eventually kicked out the hippies that were living in his barn after he found a candle that almost burned down the barn that he and his wife, Faye, and his four kids lived in. Referring to his family, he said, there are certain things that take precedent over enlightenment. No, I mean it. You've got a nice place. It's not every man that can live off the land, you know. You do your own thing in your own time. You should be proud. I was always kind of fascinated by the movie Easy Rider. That was Peter Fonda when he's talking to the farmer. Think of that film as a backdrop for the first half of this episode. If you haven't seen the film, don't worry about it. It'll all still make sense. In the meantime, the movement evolved and splintered off. The drugs and pop culture of flower power hippies continued, but they acquired teeth as it became the source of political activation, environmentalism, and in some cases, as you'll hear, helps in the implementation of new civil rights laws. And most prominently, protest of the Vietnam War. Woodstock happened. The Whole Earth Catalog was published. The hippie movement was growing up, or at least entering puberty. And with that came growing pains and acne and mood swings. The hippie movement was frequently adopted and cashed in upon by nearly everyone. Politicians learned to use the stereotype of the hippie to marginalize their opponents, especially those on the left. They also used the popularity of certain hippie elements to distract the youth of America. Charles Manson abused the seemingly leaderless, open, trusting tenets of communal hippie culture to set up and sustain his murdering, narcissistic dystopia. Is that a word? Dystopia? Try to use a little tenderness and on the other end, or maybe similarly, Madison Avenue pushed caricatures of the hippie ideal and borrowed from its culture to sell toilet paper and Coca-Cola. It became a more and more complicated struggle between mainstream society and the subculture. Agendas clashed, and the hippies just laughed. We, we wanted a better, kinder world uh, where everybody got along, but that was a little naive. It was all of us from this newspaper 
they called them an underground newspaper back then. Underground. underground. What does underground newspaper mean? Well, I don't. You've seen newspapers, haven't you? <laughs> There's the question okay, to ask yeah, a really, seven-year-old. Really. Uh, we actually get one at the house. That's good. They were not covering things that were important to us, like the war in Vietnam and cultural things, music. And so people all over the country started these little newspapers. These were very free, very funny. Uh, not all of them were funny. We were funny. But man of the year, John Waters. <laughs> John Waters with long hair looking like a hippie on yeah. the cover of that one. Yeah. The magazine was called Harry, and this is our friend Tom D'Antoni. He was in Baltimore from the late 60s until the early 70s publishing this thing. And by then, the straights had pretty much figured out what their opinion about hippies was. I was actually thrown out of bars because I had hair down here, because I looked like that. Just get out, hippie. you damn hippie. Dirty hippie. The police hated us, and they, they kept arresting us. Here, here, here am I being arrested. And, and to this day, you're still writing about police and their current activities in well, Baltimore. Same kind of stuff? Well, they didn't kill us, because we were white, mm -hmm. you know? How did the Black Panthers and the hippies get along? That was interesting. It was, how did anybody get along? That was a time when, when police, especially in Chicago, were murdering Black Panthers. There, there was some stuff going on between the police department and the Black Panthers in Baltimore, and uh, we all sat on their front porch one night. Because we were white, you know, we thought they won't shoot us. You so know, it wasn't just a show of solidarity. You were actually helping protecting them. Protecting them. Protecting them, yeah. 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 And so you weren't exactly a hippie. You were a... Most of us at the paper were yippies. Yippies, which was a hippie with a sense of humor. We used to call it the cosmic giggle. We had the cosmic giggle. It's not that like we didn't take things seriously, because we did, especially when it came to the war and, and, you know, and civil rights and things like that. But, you know, we could always have, you know, we always had a smile. And, of course, for people who, are, who, who don't agree with you, that just enrages them. <laughs> if you're having fun with what you're doing and they want you know, to throw you in jail, they don't like that you're having fun. Yeah, they're going to talk to you and talk to you about individual freedom. But they see a free individual, it's going to scare them. No, well, don't make them running scared. No, it makes them dangerous. Hippies were really the children of beatniks. We're, we're literal descendants of William Burroughs in this, and so was, so was Waters. Multiple maniacs. The John Waters movie that just got re-released. People think that movie is anti-hippie, you know, because he made fun of hippies, which was fine with us, because we made fun of everybody anyway. Uh, you know, I mean, he still sends me a Christmas card. You know, the gay scene, the hippie scene were a lot, you know, a lot of the same people. You know, I mean, uh, people willing to step outside the bounds and be embrace newly recognized freedoms. Right. So is hippie yeah. anything that's countercultural? That was why Woodstock was such an amazing event. Because all of a sudden, we realized there were millions of people just like us. We all call ourselves freaks. We're mm -hmm. freaks. When we all found each other at Woodstock, it was like, oh, there's lots of other people like us. Okay, a little sidebar here. Tom mentions hippies being the children of the Beats. It's debated a lot whether the Beats gave birth to the hippies. So did they? William S. Burroughs votes yes. Ginsburg, yes. Ferlinghetti, strong yes. But Kerouac? Kerouac was sort of a reluctant, alcoholic dad to the hippies. Here's a tape of an old interview with Jack Kerouac being asked to take credit for the hippie movement. The right. hippies are good kids. They're better than the Beats. The Beats, uh, see, Ginsburg and I, we're all in our 40s, and we started this, and the kids took it up. But uh, a lot of hoods, hoodlums, 
and uh, communists jumped on our backs and turned the idea that I had that the B generation was a, a generation of beatitude and pleasure in life and tenderness, and what they called it in the papers, beat mutiny, beat insurrection, words I never used, being a Catholic. I believe in order, tenderness, and piety. You know, I was, I was arrested four times. It was very complex, and, and there were all kinds of, there were, there were city hippies, there were country hippies, there were um, good hippies, there were bad hippies. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. What's a bad hippie? A bad hippie. We let this young couple in their 20s who had a baby move in. And naturally, they sold dope out of the house, and we all got busted. What that did was, they do? They sold pot out of the house. Marijuana. It was, it was illegal until just recently. And they came in and, and, and arrested us, took us to jail. Uh, and so that couple was not, they were not good hippies. They were not community-minded hippies. <laughs> At least not your community. Yeah, that's one way to put it. There's community-mindedness in regards to the way hippies live communally, in yeah. wasting less and being kinder to the earth, and yeah. in terms of efficiency and frugality. Yeah, we were not like that. You weren't like that. No, we were not like that. But you let some hippies live in your house. Yes, that's true. We, so we, we were kind. You were kind. We were very kind, but... If you could sum it up in one paragraph, hippies, what did they do? What did they accomplish? Uh, they changed the way people looked at the world. There is still that cosmic giggle out there that people have. Uh, there's still a, a kindness and uh, respect. We certainly changed the culture, you know, because we were open to everything, everything, as long as it didn't hurt people. You know, that was the key to everything, you know. Uh, do what you want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, you know. But, the, you know, the, the, the powers that be were definitely not, not in favor of that philosophy. You know, they had to have everything done a certain way and the way they wanted and the way they believed. You know, and there's, you know, I think for a, a, a large part, those, those people won. I think, I think they won. You know, Billy, we blew it. What? <laughs> <laughs> we blew it. Good night, man. So the movement isn't about any particular cultural vibe or any particular cultural freedom. style. It's, it's about, about freedom. freedom. It's about it's freedom. About, yeah. From what? No, freedom from, freedom to. That you can do what you want. Don't hurt anybody, but just do whatever the hell you Anything. want. Anything. Yeah. It's the, the freedom to, you know, to, to be creative, to do, what it, to, to, do, to do what's good, to do what's right, to have fun. Uh, to try anything. F famous Burroughs line. Why stop there? Why stop anywhere? Hmm. <laughs> it's probably not a good philosophy to live your life by. Why not? Because probably you should stop somewhere. Uh, but for the most part, uh, he was right. So culturally, you know, uh, we, we really, we, we changed things. The next guy that we're going to talk to is considered a saint, and not just by the hippie movement, yet he is the quintessential hippie. He's one of those that took the movement to a higher level. All right. Okay. I'll ask the first question. Okay. What exactly is a hippie? A hippie, uh, often people think it's somebody with uh, long hair and love beats. And that helps. It's useful. 
But I think it's uh, someone who is into peace, love, and understanding, and fun. Who, who do you think is the quintessential hippie that we should look to if there's a picture next to the word hippie in the global dictionary? Oh, me. <laughs> and why? Absolutely. Well, everybody says so, and I've been doing it for so long. God, there was a huge headline in the Chronicle some years ago, Wavy Gravy, the last best hippie. Episode over. Wasn't my idea. <laughs> but they'll bury me a hippie. My epitaph is happy birthday, by the way. I believe that uh, when you die, you get to come back again and again and again till you get it all figured out, and then you go do something else. You're here at this camp with kids. What's the connection between kids and hippies? Well, kids are also into uh, having a peaceful existence, and they want to be loved and understood. So I guess uh, we're all in this soup together. Do you think kids learn violence from grown-ups, or do you think it's hardwired into us? No, I think they figure it out from mostly the box uh, television uh, gets it into them. But maybe somewhere in the DNA it's also uh, because uh, people have been stepping on each other and thumping on each other throughout recorded history. Would you call yourself the model hippie? Well, in 20 years I'll be 100. I'd call myself an old hippie. (laughs) Hippie icon, flower geezer, and temple of accumulated error is how I introduced myself. Also a kids camp director and author, founder of the Seva Foundation. And uh, Seva is a Sanskrit word that means service to humankind. And we work in curable and preventable blindness. As 80% of the people in the world that are blind don't need to be blind and can get their sight back for the price of a concert to one of my shows. And over the years, we have helped 4 million people get their sight back around the world. And that's a good thing. How does Save a work? Well, uh... I raise money with uh, musicians to get them to work for free and do music concerts, and then we send the money to uh, eye camps around the world, and that enables us to do cataract surgery, which is a simple operation that takes maybe 15 minutes, bandages go on, and bandages come off, and suddenly you're able to see your child, your grandchild, your wife, and your job of work. Because if you're blind in a third world country, you're referred to as a mouth without hands. What's the connection between helping people get their eyesight and the hippie ethic? Well, there's a line that I got from one of the most famous hippies, an author named Ken Kesey, who said, always put your good where it'll do the most. So I was looking for a way to do that, and bam, along came Seva, and I was hooked. That's where I could make a real difference in the world. I I am involved in lots of other stuff, like raising consciousness for the environment, in fact, I'm even having made an earth suit so I can dress up at the earth and I'll be hot and sweaty and angry. And, uh, the, angry the earth is angry? Oh, I should say so. Uh, <laughs> you've heard of global warming. I don't like global warming. I want global air conditioning. 
So you're just gonna be dripping with sweat and and raising awareness about how hot it is. I'm melting on my top and bottom and sweating in the middle. It's no fun. Um. So I I've had a lot of contact with hippies, and I I used to sort of resist it because I had grown up in the Midwest in a conservative household, and I had heard terms like the ones I'm gonna bounce off of you. I'd like you to respond to these terms. Hippie chic. Uh, that would be somebody with the, the most elegant tie-dyes and uh, love beads quaffed. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm hippie chic quaffed. You actually look like you just got quaffed. You've got a bright yellow hat on. You look like oh. top dollar hippie today. Mrs. Gravy trims me up. She, she doesn't want me looking like a cooch. <laughs> kids, do you know I was ice cream flavor for eight years for Ben and Jerry? And we used to raise $30,000 a year that all went to send uh, children of uh, economically challenged parents to Camp Winter Rainbow. It was the most complicated, delicious flavor uh, known to humankind. Not like this guy smashing the ice cream in his head. Wavy is sporting a t-shirt with this clownish drawing of a kind of a dopey looking guy smashing an ice cream cone on his head. It's an image we know well. Grateful Dead, Europe 72 album cover. More on those guys coming up. But first, to me, the serious side of the hippie movement is born right here with this clown, Wavy Gravy. But he wasn't alone. Hippies everywhere were turning from merry prankster types into merry do-gooders, and they harnessed the energy in the movement and the scene to reshape the world. And at the same time, Nonprofit foundations were springing up, environmental movements started, all with the sort of glowing tie-dye patina of the hippie movement. Okay, continuing with the association game, the term dirty hippie. Mm, dirty non-hippie. <laughs> <laughs> What's he showing you? Describe it. Uh, rainbow teeth. How did you get them to do that? Well. It's a sad story, actually. Back in the day, I was a teenage beatnik, you understand, and I'd be sitting around my pad writing poems and being cool and hip, and then I would uh, top off the, the day by brushing my teeth with a Snickers bar and gargling with Hopman's black cherry soda. And after a while, I started to get these uh, cavities. You ever had a cavity? Oh, my God. Yes. They started pulling out my teeth, one after the other, until there's nothing left. And so I say to the kids, brush them if you got them. And they run to their toothbrushes. <laughs> Speechless. So who is this wavy gravy character who just removed his teeth, silencing my girls? Well, he's a philosopher and a spiritualist. As a beat poet, he hung around with Bob Dylan and Tom Paxton in 1962. His career was managed by Lenny Bruce, and he moved to California, opened for Thelonious Monk. Shortly after moving to California, he married his wife, Ja, in 1965. He's also a friend and someone I look up to, even though I'm not a hippie by any stretch. He walks an invisible animal on a leash. He wears a red nose. He has an endless bag of stories in his giant rubber chicken-shaped bag. He's known for being the MC at Woodstock. And as the hippie movement aged through its adolescence, he took on global ills, devoting his life to serious pursuits, conducted in full clown costume. My first job for Seva 
we got a $10,000 grant from Steve Jobs. So my assignment was to attempt to get the Grateful Dead to do a benefit for Seva. So I talked to each and every one of them and got them convinced to do this benefit for Seva at the Kaiser Auditorium. Wow. So we made a big pile of money for a lot of blind people not going to be blind anymore and bumping into stuff, and they're going to be able to see their kid and their grandkid and their wife. And uh, we had a political campaign where we ran nobody for president because we thought that was pretty funny. And before that, we ran a rock for president and a roll for vice president. So you could always eat the vice president. Before that, we actually ran a giant pig for president. Her name was Pegasus. And she was the first female black and white candidate. Oh, we wow. broke a lot of ground with that yeah, pig. Wow. Then she was very famous. What happens here at Camp Winter Rainbow? Well, this is a circus and performing arts camp where kids learn juggling, tightrope, trapeze, unicycle, tall stilts, all that kind of stuff, along with our theater department. Goes from improvisation to Shakespeare, and our dance department goes everywhere from swing to West African, all different kinds of hip-hop and, and break dancing and all that kind of stuff. And our art department is pretty darn amazing, and the kids get to do tie-dyes. That's a hippie thing, let me tell you. We get into Wavy's Volvo, and we take a tour of Camp Winter Rainbow. He's a good driver. It's 93 degrees, and we drive through the sun-baked black oaks of the hog farm. That's the ranch that he and Ja take care of. Okay, take a look, kids. There's the circus tent. And... To the left is the unicycle course. Can you see that? And there's a kid on a unicycle over there. To the to the left. And there, do you see the rainbow? Yeah. Yeah, I see it. That's the rainbow stage. Is there somebody up in the rainbow? Yeah. With permission of a counselor, you can go up there. But that that has microphones and speakers. And here, on the right, is all the aerial stuff, trapezes and rope swings and all that kind of stuff and different tight ropes on both sides wow here's the magic cafe where magicians learn to do magic and there's the art department on the left over there guys and there is there's the kitchen my dad designed the kitchen actually yeah why do you call it the hog farm we call it the hog farm because we were given a mountaintop rent free if we would take care of 50 hogs, very large animals. <laughs> you said fun without having to be funny. What's the difference? Uh, fun is serious funny. I'm the clown that ties balloons to the barbed wire. <laughs> I've been arrested as Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny for stuff I believe in to stop the war and to maybe suggest that uh, building a nuclear reactor out of the earthquake fault is not a great idea. Look at that kid go on that unicycle. This is the hardest thing to do of all the skills. And once you got it, it's so empowering. We're coming. This is called Lake Veronica, kids. What? Ooh, my name is Veronica. Look at that. Would you like to see the Thanks. spiritual center of Camp Winter Rainbow? Yes. That's called the Unicursal Cretan Labyrinth. Do you girls know what a labyrinth is? No. A geometric shape that goes back 10,000 years. You know, there are mazes, and they're designed to mess you up and get you lost. 
labyrinths are designed to get you found. And I also do one week for grown-ups. Do you believe that? Ooh, there's blackberries growing in all those bushes. What do the grown-ups do when they come to Camp Winter Rainbow? Same thing. <laughs> is it the same thing? Absolutely. It certainly is. Quail. quail. Lots of quail. Oh, my God. This is a very, very, very special place filled with the prayers of over 2,000 young people. We're now approaching the labyrinth, kids. Why do all the kids go there? They walk it under the stars and see the big totem pole. You can get out now if you want for a little bit. Well, that's cool. It's quite warm, so you don't want to spend a lot of time, but... If you think of each step as a prayer for peace on the planet, that would be useful because the prayers of kids are very powerful. Everybody has to find their own Camp Winter Rainbow or Seva and find something that lights up for you and you might find some other people that lights up for and do it together and start doing it just yourself. And uh, openings will appear and things will happen. It's all pretty amazing. You still work as hard as you've ever worked and you make public appearances all the time. Do you ever get tired of going out there on the road? I'm pacing myself uh, more and more. This is the last session and Mrs. Gravy and I will attempt to go on a vacation. It will be our 50th wedding anniversary this Thanksgiving. I, I got married on Thanksgiving. So whenever I hear Gobble gobble, I know it's time to get job present. I find a lot of people younger than us, which is almost everybody on earth, when they think of the word hippie, it comes along with dirty, lazy, stoned. And while I will admit to yes. having been dirty, lazy, and stoned at various times <laughs> of my life. Lazy, stoned, and dirty. <laughs> yeah, yes. all of those. That's LSD. <laughs> um, and that. Mostly what I find that my memories and experience, life experience of having been a hippie and still being one, is that it has to do with hard work and idealism and a kind of I, hardcore idealism, like really persevering. It happen that things get better around you, not just in your own little niche. That's what I think being a hippie is about. And my job as the intuitive hippie clown is to take work and turn it into fun. And at Camp Winter Rainbow, we're creating like universal human beings with timing and balance. I call it survival in the 21st century or how to duck with a sense of humor and a lot of compassion. You're coming up on 50 years of being married. So much has changed in the world, but it seems like you guys are still doing the same thing has anything changed in your ethos about how you approach life or work? Well, we've seen fruitfulness from our efforts. We've seen that Seva started by a small clump of people in a room into a huge organization doing a lot of stuff that Wavy and I wouldn't know how to do any of it anymore, you know. Camp Winter Rainbow is, a, this is a full camp of children. We started so this daycare that, for Sufis. <laughs> perseverance has caused the things we tried to pull off to actually come to fruition. And Sticking that's with different. It is one of the keys. Sticking with it, and I say uh, to have fun while you're sticking with it. 
in my day, we used to get uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of people marching for a cause. And today, not only do people march, but they also get on their computers and march electronically. Oh, Jahanara, as I remember it, uh, had the most amazing restaurant in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard called the Fred C. Dobbs. And I ordered a hamburger, and she put peanuts in my hamburger, and I fell in love. <laughs> Could there ever be another Woodstock? No, uh, there could never be another anything. It always has got to be its thing. You should never try and do the same thing. And you should try and be yourself. I used to open for a piano player named Theolonius Monk, who said, everyone is a genius just being themselves. In, in, in a sense, was a media creation. Phil Garfinkel is a long-standing radio personality on KBU Community Radio in Portland. Hippie was a label that was applied to a social experience. There's always been hippies in America. Henry David Thoreau was a hippie. Ralph Waldo Emerson was a hippie. Um, some of the cultural revolutionaries of New York in the 19-teens, 1920s, they were hippies. They just didn't have that name. Phil says he's too young to be a hippie, and so does this next guy, Louis Longmire. He's one of Portland's favorite musicians, and to me, he's one of Portland's biggest hippies. True hippies are the originators, you know? That first generation of people who were teenagers in the mid-60s saw the lifestyle that their parents had and rebelled against it with what they saw as something that dug a little deeper. They got hints of that there was more to life than what they were being sold on Madison Avenue. So, like me, these guys were teenagers in the 80s. The overwhelming sort of media presence of normal society just seemed really vapid to me. The 80s were kind of like the 50s, only with better television. Yeah, better television and a lot more powerful marketing. I didn't care for the music that was happening at the time. I didn't care for the sort of plastic neon aesthetic that was sort of what everyone was dressing like and what everyone was looking like. I gravitated towards identifying with most of these aspects of hippie. I, I thought it was better to take care of the environment, explore the inner reaches of the human psyche. There's, there's got to be more to it than this, just this. To me, the core essence of hippie goes back actually to the Bible. I'm not a religious person. I was raised by atheists. In the Bible, there's a commandment in Hebrew, tikkun olam, and it means literally repair the broken world. So as a teenager, I gravitated towards all those things, and then I liked the look of the Laurel Canyon ladies and, you know, <laughs> bell bottoms and growing my hair long. I liked the rebellion of it. The attraction to this lifestyle, this energy, drew people with incredible empathy. Folks like Wavy Gravy, like Larry Brilliant. Larry is the doctor who brought the idea of bringing sight to the world to Wavy Gravy for the Save a Foundation. People turned on and opened their minds and went, wow, you know, we forget here in America, we're a social experiment that's less than 250 years old. Mm -hmm. There are cultures exponentially older and 
all of a sudden these kids started turning on and going, wow, look at this Hindu culture, look at this spiritual practice called yoga. All of a sudden it was a time of possibilities and a time of incredible consciousness expansion, which with our 2016 cynical ears, you hear consciousness expansion and you expect to hear gentle lilting music and smell Nag Champa, and that's not what it is. Consciousness expansion is a deliberate action of saying what I believe may or may not be right. What are the other options? A lot of that still survives. I think there's a lot of people who really do amazing amounts of hard work to make sure that they're very low impact on the planet. Earthship houses outside of Taos, New Mexico, recycling rainwater and producing almost no garbage and, you know, things like that. I think that really sums up what really hippie is to me. It's not just about getting high and listening to the Grateful Dead. It's about people starting a recycling center in their community, setting up um, health care for folks who can't afford health care. And what about hippie fashion? Here are Louis' thoughts on why hippie fashion is hippie fashion. It's ugly. Ugly. Oh, it's high fashion. You look foolish. Take it back. I think the aesthetic, a lot of it had to do with tribes want ways to recognize one another, particularly at that time when everything was so straight-laced. You would want to be able to see a guy walking down the street and know that he was uh, a freak, if you were a freak, if you were a hippie, because there weren't so many of them, and you needed the numbers to be safe, because literally, back in those days, you would get beaten up for, for being who you were. The end of the movie, Easy Rider, that's really what was happening out there. You would get beaten up for being a long-haired. I'm sorry about what I said. That's okay, Harold. See, this shaman is tender. Deep down tenderness that's soft and cushiony. Tender fragrance, too. You know something? Mm. You look nifty in that outfit. Mm. Look at Muhammad Ali. He took a hippie-esque stance to the violence. He was like, I got no problem with no Viet Cong. I'm not going to go kill some guys I never met. Try Charmin and get the tender touch. And mainstream society, just for that, destroyed him for a while. They removed his ability to do what he was put on the planet to do. They destroyed his reputation for a time period. Luckily, he ended up being vindicated and was eventually accepted. Again, he took a hippie stance, but it's hard to say that, like, was he a hippie? It may mean that we have to look at some unpleasant truths, whether it's through chemicals, yoga, meditation, reading books, educating yourself, having conversations with your neighbors. These things are, they're weird now. So here's a question for the kids, all right? I have three candles and one match. Now I have three candles and no matches. Okay, how do I light the other two candles? You go you like take that one and light the other one. Okay, so go ahead, do that. Get it lit, don't burn yourself. Okay, and then you do the other one. Okay, so you guys did a really good job. Each of them lit a candle off of my candle. Now, is my candle in any way Diminished? Is there any less flame in my candle from the candles that you lit? No. With that one candle, we lit two other candles and increased the light in the world without decreasing the first candle. 
That to me is the essence of hippie. Sharing knowledge, bringing people new points of view. I mean, you may not have looked at Rome School as an act of hippiness, but it is. Consciousness expansion is not a cosmic thing. Wavy Gravy, at his core, is a pragmatist with his invisible fish that he's walking or whatever. He's a cosmic clown, like the Sufis did. He uses humor to raise consciousness, but he's also, in his core, a pragmatist. Otherwise, his poem, Basic Human Needs, would not exist. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think of this metaphor with the candles? Does it make sense to you? Yeah, don't blow up mine. In my opinion, the worst thing that hippies have brought to our culture is patchouli. Is your mom a hippie? I don't think so. This is up for debate, and we'll get to that later in the okay. episode. Let me ask you this. What flavor of Dr. Bronner's soap does your mom use? Mint and lemon. I personally like lavender and tea tree oil. That's a little more on the hippie That's end. That's a little more on the hippie end. How do you know that hippies visited your house? just said they might have taken all of the Dr. Bronner's. <laughs> the answer is because they're still there. <laughs> okay, now, where's the safest place to hide money when hippies are visiting your house? Giving it to them. <laughs> the answer is under the soap. <laughs> Dana, what are you looking at? papers, old papers that mommy collected, and right now I'm looking at um, the South Going Zach at the Vine Pig. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Cool. Can't remember the year. 91, 92? So, Julie. <laughs> Jim. Mother of my children. Father of my offspring. The Rome-schooled Romers. Yes. Girls. What? So we've been talking to hippies. Hippie-ish people. Yeah. Are you a hippie? Um... I think I have hippie tendencies. I was raised by four hippie brothers in the 70s. They were definitely hippies, full-on earth shoes, super long hair. I thought all my brothers looked like Jesus when I was a girl <laughs> because they were much older. when I. They were all in their teens, hitchhiking, dropping particular items into their tongue. <laughs> and... Um, Joining strange cults, all sorts of crazy stuff. What defines a hippie? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Kindness at all times, and I don't think I'm kind enough to really be. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, dare you! <laughs> I have a temper. Yeah, she isn't kind at all times. I've got to say that. Um, I'd say 99% of the time. Oh, thank no, you. No, I'd say um, um, two and a half. What? Two and a half? What? Percent if I was chopping it up into four percent. That's weird math. This is the new math yeah. they're teaching you in school. All right. Okay, well, let's get to the, the real question here. There was a part of that social activism in there, but there was also a part of it that was about being free to be whoever you want to be, go barefoot if you want to, wear whatever you want to, don't wear a bra, do wear a bra, who cares? Don't do just the job that your parents want you to do. That is the kind of hippie I am, and I think, I think I took it further into don't be the nice singer that you want to be. Go ahead and scream and yell and say bad words. <laughs> and but if you want to be a nice singer, you should be a nice singer. Why right. do you want to scream and stuff like that if you do want to be a nice singer? Yeah, be what you want to be. Be kind. Be a kind rainbow sister. 
and, and, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh at all the Rainbow Sisters out there. Okay, so it, why do you suppose that you and I both resisted the label hippie? So I, I resisted it because it just didn't fit me. It doesn't fit. I needed to find the alternative. I needed to find the unique way that I could make the world a better place. Healthier, happier, with laughter and music and love and hard work. And I think laughter, love, music and hard work is a big hippie thing. You probably already picked up that Julie is the girl's mom. And despite the fact that she just completely contradicted herself about being a hippie, she's awesome. In college, she had a band with a funny name. Southgoing Zach has a lot of the iconography of hippiedom. Bright colors, psychedelic imagery. Yeah. Is that you, Mama? That's me. Looks like I'm smelling my armpit in that picture, but I'm You not. are. <laughs> that is a common fashion pose. Really <laughs> sprawling. To show how clean your armpits are. Right. See, I shave my armpits. I'm not a hippie if I shave my armpits. Let's see what they say. The Thinking Creatures Playground. They converge from God knows where. Record store owners and sorority girls. Leather-clad metalheads and patchouli-scented deadheads. Yes. See, that's what kept me away from your shows. I understand. And I, should, I shouldn't have. I might have met a very pretty, nice, patchouli-scented deadhead, and my life could have taken a different, a different turn. Tell me about hippies and social justice. Well, hippies don't, aren't always interested in social justice. Hippies are sometimes interested in a good time, but they believe that in order to really have a good time, everyone needs to be free. If you're having a good time at the expense of someone else's freedom, it's not cool, man. You need to do your part to help everyone be free. So Julie married Jonathan, the drummer. You're going to meet him later. And here's some fine print if you're really listening closely. Julie and Jonathan were married, and then about 12 years later, Julie and I were married. Anyway, when the band was retired, Julie and Jonathan moved to San Francisco and they opened a community center called Cell Space. They both taught workshops there and were activists. And Julie taught something called Theater of the Oppressed. When I met Julie, she had left the community space. So I guess that makes me not a hippie. I'm not communal. I don't want to share every part of my life with the community. I can't do it. There are very few people who I've met who self-identify as hippies who are extremely private people. That's a really good point, and that's where he and I differed. You wanted your space. I wanted my space, I want my private life, yes. But then that's my, there's my privilege, I guess. That's my privilege speaking. What do you mean by privilege? I wanted to use my education and my resources to have a job that could make money that would allow us to have an apartment. So you went into accounting. <laughs> You're a teacher. That's yeah, but even that was considered kind of selling out. Like too much of a straight job? Yes. So to make sense of this a little more and to understand the modern hippie, we drove down to Berkeley, looked around a little bit, and we visited Jonathan. How's the Rome school? Hey. How Good are to you? See you. Been a you while. Do. Yeah, how's it going? So here's our spot. Where are we here? Okay, so we are here at the Place for Sustainable Living. It's an education center for urban sustainability, gardening, appropriate technology, permaculture, gray water systems, rainwater catchment. We offer classes and workshops 
and different spaces for people to do metalworking, woodworking, jewelry, crafts. And the mission statement is to provide not only the education of all of those things, but also demystify the technologies. So uh, we do tours and show people these things so that they can integrate some of these technologies into their own home and just be excited about you know, living on less. And that's kind of our reason for being. During the week, it serves as the common space for the people that live here. And everyone who lives here volunteers about eight to 10 hours a week to help manage some aspect of the nonprofit community center. And that's part of the deal. We are big on functionality. If there's anything that's got like two or three purposes, we're psyched. What is a hippie? A hippie? I think hippies uh, date back mostly to the 60s. They were free thinkers. They thought for themselves. They were against the dominant culture. They were counterculture. So they really pushed the boundaries of what was acceptable. And they, they did that through their dress, hairstyle, lifestyle, and they were pretty much responsible for shifting uh, a conservative society into one that was open and a little bit more liberal. Now the fact that we are open to gay and lesbian culture, paying attention to organic food and what we put in our bodies came originally from hippies challenging a more stodgy kind of conservative society. What is it about hippies that would surprise people who, like myself, might have avoided some of the trappings of hippiedom? So the sense of hippies is that hippies are disorganized and they're dirty. Traditionally, hippies have, have been a little bit more into organizing as a group. And as you organize as a group, you've got to work things out. You've got to talk things out. And so they're actually a little bit more organized uh, than you might think. It just looks like more of a mess. Right. Okay. And in the inclusiveness, you're, you're making room for others. So you're making room for people who have different choices and different lifestyles. So there is maybe more clutter here and there but I've actually gone into uh, student co-ops, which a lot of times in universities and colleges, the student co-ops are identified as the hippies because they have long hair and they dress funny in a lot of colors and they, they have a meal for 20 people every day and they're cooking and you're, you might have Monday night and you might have Tuesday night and that's your night to cook for 20 people, but then you do that once a month and every other day someone else is cooking for you. It's a little bit cheaper to eat as a group. When you make a meal for yourself, you um, have to buy stuff in small packages because- Takes up more space, yeah. refrigeration. That's right. So there's so an economy of scale. There is an economy of scale. So hippies when, are a type of economist. Who, they are. They're actually living with less and they're making use of more. You know, historically they've gotten a bad rap for being sort of messy and, and dirty. I think partly that reputation comes from people who are afraid of free thinkers, who are afraid of that lifestyle. And as a result, people have not understood what hippies are. We're talking to Jonathan Yu, and we're in a place called PLACE, which yes. stands for? People, linking, art, community, and ecology. And it's a beautiful day, and we're in Berkeley. Jonathan used to be married to the same woman that I used to be married to, from whom these children sprung. That's right. <laughs> in college, we both were in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is kind of a hippie town. And I was into punk rock. 
and I heard that there was this amazing band that you were in with Julie, the yep. girl's mom. They were called South Going Zack. In my mind, they were a hippie band because they used Dr. Seuss' yeah. character. And I was like, oh, it's a hippie band. Mom wasn't a hippie, I don't think. No, she wasn't. We kind of described ourselves as pop thrash because every chorus, we would just rock out and everyone would just get up and dance like mad. And there were mosh pits. So we had some punk flavor yeah. to our otherwise strummy strum sing-songy stuff so that's where the pop i was close-minded i should have gone to shows all my friends went and loved your band and i never met julie until 12 years later but we knew of each other we, we worked in the same restaurant oh wow and then we met way later out here in berkeley oh, my God. then she played me your music it certainly wasn't a jam band traditional hippie music jam band not a hippie band okay no all right no definitely not okay <laughs> <laughs> It was a non-hippie band with a kind of a hippie name and a huge following of hippies. Yeah, there was definitely a hippie uh, tendency. You're not wearing tie-dye or colorful clothes. No. You, have, you have short hair. You have a yeah. barcode on your T-shirt. There's nothing hippie about the way you look. No. Yet all these different ideas that are part of the hippie culture and subculture are part of your life Correct. Uh, and are part of your attempt to make the world a better place. Right. Even though the term is kind of a helpful, friendly label in yeah. most cases, sure. you can't label somebody based on two seconds of watching them. As a matter of fact, today, coming over the bridge, girls, will you explain what we saw the guy do in the car in front of us? He threw a plastic bottle out of the car window. And so we pulled up beside him. It was strange because he was driving a Prius, an environmentally sound person, but certainly not espousing hippie values by, th by littering. But it turns out... Yeah, he said that he was sticking his hand out the window, and um, he accidentally banged it against the car, and it fell out of his hand. Oh, so it was a mistake? Mm -hmm. I don't think he was telling Really? Vern <laughs> is skeptical. But it was just sort of one of these things where you make snap judgments about people. Yeah. And who knows what really happened? But he did look uh, sheepish. It looked believable that he would have reached his hand out the window to just breathe in the beautiful Bay Air and it's possible. drop it. It's and possible. And also, he gets challenged by a bunch of kids. He might feel super guilty and want to explain that it's not okay to litter. And there was an excuse that I'm coming up with right now that I'm going to tell you so that I can feel better about myself. I mean, I think that a lot of people are still, you know, uh, sort of motivated by a lot of the ideals and working proactively for the environment or for social justice and jobs where they're canvassing or working in a nonprofit or community services, growing their own food as much as possible. Um, there are definitely different categories now over the years. I mean, you, you'll go to like a, a rave with electronic music, which wouldn't be sort of traditionally seen as a hippie sort of thing. And there are people that look like hippies within that subculture. And then the gutter punks where they're listening to punk music, but they also have long hair, dreaded hair. Over the years, all of these genres of, of music and lifestyle have sort of cross-populated and pollinated themselves into a myriad of different options. And I feel like we're at the critical mass 
that people are getting climate change is real. We have ways to make community choices. There are ways that we can locally organize to reduce our consumption and dependency on fossil fuels. So LEED certified and green points rating systems, big time developers wanting to do the right thing now. So, you know, I'm encouraged. Well, there's some recognition of that hippie economy going on in which it actually starts to make sense even with no eye on the, the seventh generation sure. to come. That's right. And that's what helps that transition. If you can lobby the government to make laws that encourage this change to happen through tax credits, people can make change happen at a more accelerated rate. What else do you do other than be at the, the place? place. <laughs> the place yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the main other thing that I do is uh, puppets. I have a whole collective of friends that work in puppets, and we have this place called the Puppet Plex. And we make puppets, and we perform with puppets. So we are the schoolhouse rock of, of musical theater puppetry. So it, could there be two people more different looking and sounding in this world than this guy, Jonathan Ute, and the guy we talked to yesterday, Wavy Gravy? They're both hippies, I guess. Depends on what you think a hippie is. Do you, do you think of yourself as a hippie? Uh, I have hippie tendencies, but I don't think I'm a hippie. I was so hoping he would say yes. Anyway, we left Berkeley and we went back home. And I thought about how it felt like the movement had grown up. Yet, it had kept its childlike, fun, clowning, playing with puppet ways. And I felt more warm and fuzzy about hippies than I ever had. Is Jonathan Ute a hippie? Yes. Does he say he's a hippie? No. <laughs> he says he's not? Yeah, he says he's Oh my gosh, are we all in denial? Wow. This is really... like the long-haired, dirty hippie. Yeah. Yes. Label. Yeah. He doesn't have that long of a hair. His hair is not much longer than yours. He doesn't have long hair. He well, does have a weird beard, but he doesn't have long hair. He's never had long hair. We're trying to get past the label and try to figure out what hippies were really about, and we got a good dose of that from Wavy, and I learned a lot. I learned a ton. It is a qualifier that a lot more people will just say, oh, hippie. That's like the hippie radar. And it's a, la and it's a label. Yep. Helpful or not? I don't think it's helpful anymore. The quintessential hippie is either Jerry Garcia or Wavy Gravy. <laughs> okay, so we've done what we can. Have... Jerry, we haven't talked to Jerry about it. Not no. in our conscious world, we haven't. That's true. He's passed on. He was the, sort of the main musician oh. in the Grateful Dead. Um, Wavy Gravy mentioned them. What's the quintessential hippie movie? The quintessential hippie movie. Probably the Woodstock documentary. Age of Aquarius, hair. Revolution. It's got a soundtrack with Mother Earth, Steve Miller Band, and Quicksilver Messenger Service. The Saint Misbehaving, the story of my life. Fantasia. I want to see Fantasia trip. What's the quintessential hippie car? I think originally it's a Volkswagen Vanagon. Volkswagen bus. We lived in uh, buses for over seven years. VW bus. VW bus. Beatles and buses, because they were inexpensive and easy to fix. Nowadays, hippies like Subarus. I think now it's a Prius. <laughs> okay. Snack? I suggest ice cream. Uh, tofu jerky. <laughs> ice cream. You scream, we all scream. Ice cream. Yum, yum, yum. 
Corp. Or trail mix. Pizza. This is a silly one. What's the quintessential hippie kitchen item? Kitchen item? <laughs> I don't know. I don't hardly cook. Blender. <laughs> For smoothies. Sprout jar. Ganja butter. Ah, <laughs> uh, spatula so they can get all of the cookie batter out of the bowl. Because they're making super chewy, super chunk peanut butter granola cookies. What's I the... think you also like the name spatula. I love spatula. Good word. Uh, spaghetti colander. Because spaghetti was cheap. Uh, the ice cream scoop. <laughs> What's the quintessential hippie band. band? Grateful Dead. The quintessential hippie band, definitely Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead. What's your favorite band? Oh, I would have to say the Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead. Everybody's saying that. Why is everyone saying Grateful Dead? Uh, we'll probably have to add, talk to one of them and find out from them why they think this. Because is. they're the quintessential hippie band. There may be no reason behind it. For once, man will have a godlike control over his own destiny. He will have a chance to transcend and to evolve with some equality for all. How's your joint, George? I'm leaving you with that moment from Easy Rider. In case you thought Louis was spoiling the ending of the movie, he wasn't. He either forgot how the film ends or he was pranking you. I'm not going to tell you how it ends. So, hippies, muggles, regular people, without any magical powers, just humans getting their hands dirty, trying new things, shepherding the planet, caring. Expanding their consciousness. Kids. Children, really, who, like everybody else, know very little, but are trying everything they can. I'm Jim Brunberg, and you've been listening to Rome School. I write the show with help from my daughters, Vern and Dana, who ask the questions, and production help from Lydia Ritchie and Ben Landsberg. That great piece you heard at the beginning was called What's in the Name Hippie? by author and psychedelic leader and original merry prankster Ken Babs. He's working on a book called Cronies, all about his adventures with Ken Kesey, Neil Cassidy, the Merry Pranksters, and other friends. Very special thanks to Wavy and Ja Gravy for spending the day with us and being inspirations. Also to Louis Longmire, Phil Garfinkel, Julie Sparling, Jonathan Yu, and every other dang hippie on the planet. I want to be fun and do good work like you. Thanks for listening to Rome School. Make sure you check out our website, romeschool.com. Drop us a line and enjoy the slideshow that goes along with every episode. And please subscribe to our podcast and give it a rating at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm.